So yeah, how, did, how was your guys' Christmas? Good? Yeah, welcome. Thank you guys for being here with us today. And I'm sure there's a lot of people watching online as well. Thank you guys for joining online. Um, today, we're going to be finishing our series, uh, Unto Us a Child is Born. So we've been working through these four names that was given to Jesus in Isaiah 9.6. And uh, we're going to work on the last name today. And so that's going to be great. And um, so we are going to be in Isaiah 9-6, if you could just turn with me there. And as you're turning, just to give you a small recap, we talked about Jesus being everlasting father and this idea that he would express as the Messiah the, the eternal nature of the father, this heart of the father and the fact that God is everlasting, and he would express that in his ministry. And then Pastor Sam came and talked about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, that he would be this champion or chief of priest, uh, a chief of, of peace, and that he would be peace for us, and he would be able to give us peace because he has peace. It's his to give. And then we talked about uh, him being wonderful counselor, this idea that he's awe-inspiring, and not in the way that we use wonderful, like wonderful meals, like Pastor Sam said, but wonderful as in, this is the God of glory who created all things, and he would be wise in all of his counsel. And today we're going to be talking about mighty God. We're going to end it on mighty God. And so let's just start with reading Isaiah 9, chapter 2, or Isaiah 9, verse 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Verse 5, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us is given a son, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The increase of, his of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Join me in prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for this, this year, another season to worship you and look back at your birth, the incarnation, the reality that God came and left his throne in heaven and came here, wrapped himself in our humankind, our, our human likeness, so that he would save us. And so help us as we work through your word today, as we unpack you, Jesus, being mighty God, help us to have a posture of humility. Help us to see you as you are and that that would increase our faith in you and whatever is going on in our life, whatever struggles are happening. Lord, I, I pray that as we exalt you and look at you, that that would increase our faith in you in whatever circumstance that we are in. And so, Lord, we give you this message. We give you this time. May you bless it. And we say this in your mighty name. Amen. So to start, 
before we do a lot of unpacking, because we're going to do a lot of unpacking, I hope you guys are ready to open your Bibles, because it's going to be a lot of scripture. So I want to start with a story of a guy I know in Florida. He's a great friend of mine. His name is Chuck Melton. I used to live on his property. That's him right there. And he's a really cool guy. He's super, like you would never think that this guy uh, had anything crazy going on in his life. He was just a super simple guy. He loved hunting. Uh, he loves just hanging out. He built his house from the ground up and he let me stay there and just charged me like $200 rent. I was like, this is amazing. And, um, but the thing about Chuck, he has a ministry where he built this cross and there's like little wheels on it to help him like drag it. And he carries that cross everywhere in the country. He'll go to New Orleans. He'll go to, he lives in Florida. He'll go to New York. He'll go wherever. And even internationally to Dominican Republic, to Colombia. And he'll carry this cross in some of the most dangerous areas. He'll go to very bad neighborhoods and carry this cross. He'll go to very spiritually dark events and carry this cross. And he'll tell you story after story, and you'll think he's lying, but he'll tell you story after story of how people profess Jesus and just came up to him and said, why are you carrying that cross? Can you tell me about Jesus? But usually when he's telling me a story, like one time he, there was a Russian mobster that got saved. He met a Russian mobster. And uh, he, he would say things like, every time before God calls me somewhere, and I know I'm supposed to go say, say New Orleans, he'll feel this overwhelming fear of like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to be a target. Like I'm gonna be walking with a cross and there's just gonna be huge opposition. Uh, but he'll be the first one to tell you that the only way that he's able to go and do that and do this ministry, and the reason he still does it now at 70 years old, is because of the might that he's confident God has. The confidence that, that God is mighty enough to be able to sustain him in doing that. And he has. He has blessed that ministry. And so I tell this story because we're going to be talking about the mightiness of God. What, what does this mean for God to be mighty in his work, in his deed, but also in his nature? And how does that relate to Jesus as the Messiah that Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 9. And so, what does mighty mean? What is, what is Isaiah talking about when he says mighty God? Because me and you use the term mighty in very frivolous ways, right? Uh, but what, what Isaiah is saying is, and it, it could be better translated, val, valiant warrior or hero. Like the actual Hebrew word gibor means champion or hero. And so it's this idea that, yeah, like this Messiah is going to do powerful deeds, but he's going to be also this, this powerful hero. And like, what makes a hero? Like if you watch superhero movies or if you watch anything with any type of storyline of like a hero, does being powerful simply make that person a hero? No, the villains are powerful. The other people are powerful too. Like they're fighting against powerful things. And the hero, what makes the hero powerful is, yes, he's powerful in his deed, but he's also powerful in his character. He, he's, a, he's, he's characterized as a heroic person, not just a heroic 
person that's just doing heroic things, but he's a heroic person. And that's what this word captures is that, yes, God is all powerful, but he's also heroic in his nature. And usually when this word is used, it's used especially close to God's desire to fight for his people. We just came out of the series in Joshua, and what was the tagline that Sam put on it? God who fights for his people, right? Fights for his people. It's the theme of the Bible if you read it. It's the whole thing. God does everything. He does all the work. He does all the fighting. God fights. And this is what characterizes him as a hero. In Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, he kind of talks about this as he's recounting uh, some of the stuff that, that God has done for the people of Israel, delivering them out of Egypt and things like that. And this is what he says in 30, chapter 32, verse 17 through 19. And, and Jeremiah is praying for understanding. If you read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah had a very hard ministry with, with the people of Israel. And he's praying for understanding, and this is what he says. O Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Verse 18, you show steadfast love to thousands and you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. What's interesting about this passage is, yes, he says, God, you're mighty. You made the heavens. You made the earth. Later on in the chapter, he talks about how he delivered them out of Egypt and oppression and provided a land and all this stuff that God did. But it also says that he, is, he, he loves everlastingly. So he's coupling God's mightiness to his nature to be able to keep his covenant. He's mightily able to keep his covenant with the people of Israel, with you and with me. And God expresses this mightiness in many ways throughout the Bible, not only in huge, magnificent ways that we're used to hearing about, like the Red Sea parting or fire from heaven, swallowing up you know, altars and all these other crazy radical things, but also in simple, small things too, like providing food for the people of Israel in the wilderness where there was no food, providing food for you and for me. When was the last time we thanked God for food? I thanked him last night. <laughs> I thank them, uh, you know, Friday. The forgiveness of sins and wickedness done against God, or even the provision of rain, sun, or shade. Like I was having a conversation with my wife, and she made this super good point because I'm like, God is mighty in doing the big things. But she was like, but even in the shade that he provides, if you read the end of Jonah, he provides shade for Jonah when Jonah's hot. The point is, however God chooses to like, express his mightiness, the point is that we would see that and worship him for it. It would point us to his mightiness and that it would, it would build a response in us to worship him and see him as the one and true God. C.H. Spurgeon speaks of this in a sermon he wrote when he's talking about Jesus's, one of Jesus' miracles. And he says, the Lord is mighty. That is to say, God is so strong that power immeasurable 
and inconceivable belongeth unto him. So if you think right now about power, and if you can conceive it, God's power is bigger than that. It's not like God's power to do things is inconceivable and immeasurable. We can't even think of it. God is able to do mighty and miraculous things, whether they be big, like the parting of the Red Sea, or small, like providing shade, whatever way he chooses to express them, he can do it because he's all-powerful in his nature. God can do anything that he wants. And Pastor Sam, a few weeks ago, said it actually very well regarding God's peace. He, says, he said that uh, Jesus was able to give peace because peace was his to give. And it's the same thing with God's might. He's able to do mighty things because God himself is almighty. Isaiah is telling us suffering people, their Messiah would have a, dis a distinguishable mark about him that separates him from all other gods. And this is what's interesting, because in that time of Isaiah, they were worshiping other gods, along with worshiping the true God, Yahweh. They would go up on every hill and they would worship other gods. They would build little idols and they would worship them. And Isaiah is saying, your Messiah is going to have a distinguishable mark about him that's going to separate him and make him different from every other thing that you build in your life as a God or you take and take a hold of as a God. It's going to be very noticeable. What is that distinguishable mark? It would be that the Messiah would be mighty in deed and word, just like God is. And it would showcase his deity. So the question is, how is this expressed in the life of Jesus? If we believe that the Messiah is Jesus, which the gospel accounts make that claim, Jesus is the promised Messiah, then how was this might expressed in his life? How is he seen to be as mighty God? Some examples here would be helpful, and this is why I said get ready to open your Bible, because there's going to be a lot of Scripture. So in Luke 24, 19, Jesus is resurrected. He re he's resurrected, he's in, in his new resurrected body, and he's, he's walking on a road, and he meets these two disciples on a road um, that leads to a city called Emmaus. And there are these two disciples that believed in Jesus, and they're having a discussion, and Jesus kind of, you know, wiggles his way in between them. He's like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, are you like weird that you don't know what's happening in Jerusalem these days about this man? And he's like, what things? As if like, what are you talking about? I don't know. It's like, and he's like trying to like spur them on to keep going. And they're like, oh, well, this man. And this is how they describe Jesus. They're like, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word. Peter does the same thing, right? Jesus is resurrected. In chapter two, he is, or in chapter one, he ascends to heaven. Chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes. And then Peter gives his first sermon, which 3,000 people get saved after hearing it. Delivers his first sermon, and Peter is addressing the religious leaders, the Jewish people of that time, a lot of which crucified Jesus, who actually pled for Jesus to be crucified. And this is what he, how Peter describes Jesus. He says, men of Israel, hear my words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. 
And then Jesus himself, upon giving the revelation to John in the book of Revelation, he describes himself in chapter 1 like this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. That's Jesus describing himself. I mean, you can't, if you doubted that, like Jesus tells you he is the mighty God. And again, Jesus expresses his mightiness in many ways in his earthly ministry, many miracles. It would take forever to go through all of them, and I was planning on it, but we're not going to do it. <laughs> so we're going to go through four specific, I mean very specific, things that Jesus did that were promised that the Messiah would do that Jesus fulfilled in his earthly ministry. Four things that kind of express the full extent of his might in his earthly ministry. The first thing was his birth, the incarnation, what we're celebrating at Christmas time, this whole reason why we celebrate and do all these things in the candle lighting, his incarnation, his birth. In Isaiah chapter 7, just two chapters before 9-6, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus, the mighty God, would be born a, with, of a virgin. And I think a lot of times we look at the miracle of being born a virgin. It's like, okay, yeah, that's a miracle. Yep. But I think I want to go a little deeper, the fact that he was even born in the first place. The fact that God would choose to be born. He could have just come up on the scene, boom, full glory, you're going to worship me right now. He could have, he could have done it. Isaiah, it happened to Isaiah in, nine, in chapter 6. Isaiah saw God and boom, worship. But he chooses to be born of a virgin. He chooses to be born like we are. In Philippians chapter 2, this is how Paul describes this. This is one of my favorite passages. Chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. He says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Some translations say a thing to hold to his advantage but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, in the likeness of humanity, being born like you and like me. Jesus expressed his mightiness in the perfection of his humility, God choosing to be born like we are so that he would be under the law that we are under in order to save us. The second way that Jesus expresses this mightiness of his is with his life. Not so much the miracles, even though that is like, those are glimpses of his might, but more in the way that he lived, the way in which he lived. Because Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be sinless, that he would not, he would not sin. In Isaiah 53, 9, he says this, they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. When was the last time, I don't know, you said something dumb? <laughs> I probably said it yesterday. <laughs> like, like, we can't even conceive of going maybe four, two, one hour without saying something dumb or thinking something dumb or sinning or falling short of God's glory. 
Yet Jesus was a fully human and he was perfectly sinless. At no point in his life did he ever yield to even the thought of evil. First Peter actually reiterates this uh, when he's talking about Jesus. And in chapter 2, verse 22, this is what he says. He committed no sin, neither was deceit in his mouth. Peter's actually using part of that prophecy. He's saying Jesus fulfilled this. He had no sin and there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus would express his mightiness as God by refusing, again, even the thought of evil. Yet, he was tempted. It's very clear. The Bible is clear, Matthew 4. He's dragged into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Not dragged, but, you know, led into the Holy Spirit, or led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted with things that me and you are tempted with. Yet, at no point did he yield to any evil. And so in his birth, in his life, the third thing is in his death and resurrection. In Jeremiah 33, 8, again, Jeremiah prophesies the word of the Lord, and this is what God says to his people and to us. He says, I would cleanse the people. I will cleanse my people from all their guilt and and their sin. I will forgive their sin. What's interesting about this is that All the time in the Old Testament where people committed sins, God had set up a system in Leviticus 18 where he would cover their sins. So they would sin and he would cover it. He would kind of cover it in a way where they can, you know, commune with God. But it wasn't necessarily cleansed. That didn't come until Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. Any sin that was committed before the cross and after cross was cleansed at the cross and at the resurrection. Before that, it was only covered. And so what Jeremiah is saying is that this God is going to come and he's going to cleanse. He's not going to just cover. He's going to cleanse you of your sin. And this is crazy because, and I was having this thought, Jesus Jesus died and gave the opportunity to forgive sins of people who would not even, who who would show no interest in Jesus. There will be people that die that do not accept Jesus, even though he created that opportunity for their salvation. And he did it anyway. And this is the mightiness that he has in his ability, not only to provide forgiveness, but his desire to do so. His God wants to forgive you. He doesn't have to. He wants to. And that expresses great might of him to be able to do this. Paul highlights this in Ephesians 1, chapter 7, when he says, In him we have received redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, which is sin, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. God didn't forgive us because you earned it. God didn't forgive you because you thought you could do it. God didn't forgive us any other reason other than the fact that his grace made, like, encouraged him to do it. God wanted to forgive you. He didn't have to. And that expresses great might of his heart for us. And the last one, 
wasn't necessarily in Jesus' earthly ministry, but it is in, going to be in the future, his return. In Zechariah 9.14, prophet Zechariah, he says, Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning, and the Lord will sound the trumpet and will march forth in whirlwinds of the south. That may sound really confusing. It's very poetic. The point is that God is going to come in glory. God is going to come in glory. The first time he came, which is what we celebrated at Christmas time, he came as what? A servant. He came humbly. He came in a, as a form of a baby. He was born like we are. The second time he comes, it's not going to be like that. The second time he comes, he's going to come in power, in the full extent of God's might, to eradicate evil, to completely deal with all the wrongs and the injustices of the world. He's going to completely wipe out any wickedness. That's how Jesus is going to come the next time. And we read this in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. This is what it says. This is probably, like when I read this verse, I can't help but get excited, but I, I have a fear in me, a reverent fear, because this is the same Jesus that's born in a manger. This is the same one. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's the second time that Jesus is going to come, which is exciting because there's a lot of wrong in the world that we want dealt with, right? He's going to do it. But... I think thinking about these things, the way that Jesus has expressed his might in his birth, the incarnation, in his life, being sinless, the only sinless human to ever live and that ever will live, in his death and resurrection, providing forgiveness for you and me when we don't deserve it, and in his return when he's going to eradicate all evil forever and for good, it should prompt us to ask the question, okay, how do I live my life in light of that? How do I live my life in light of Jesus being this mighty God? Because it should prompt us to live our life for him. Because the reality is, we are tempted at some capacity to live our lives in the might and strength of ourselves. Right? This is, I, say, I probably say this every sermon, and I'm going to continue to say it every sermon. But the anthem of our culture, the gospel of our generation, is believe in yourself. 
I see it all the time and it annoys me. Believe in yourself. And it's like, no, don't believe in yourself because you don't know what you want, right? We can't even decide on what to eat. Anyways, don't get me started. Don't get me started. Okay, but the point is, this is the temptation to live our life in my might, in our might, in our power. And one thing we realize when looking at Jesus in this way, when we look at him being mighty God, okay, Jesus, this is you. This is you. The first thing that probably happens when we see this is, man, like, I, I don't think I'm as strong as I think I am. Uh, I don't think I'm as wise as I think I am. Compared to Jesus, mighty God, I feel very, very small right now right? Which is a good thing. Let me just say, like, that, that's a good thing for you to feel that. But the question is, do we devote ourselves, and this is something we need to ask now during the holidays, do we devote ourselves to Jesus on the holidays when it's easy? When it's easy to celebrate with the Christmas lights? I love Christmas lights. Makes me want to worship. But when it's going really hard and it's not Christmas time, and it's in the middle of June, and it's hot, and things are happening in my family, and things are going wrong, or maybe I'm tempted when things are going really, really, really good, and there's a lot of money in the bank account, and everything's going well with family. Am I tempted to think that I did that? My, my, my power has given me this? Or do I devote myself to Jesus and recognize that even in the worst times and even in the really, really, really good times, it's only by the might of Jesus that I have any of it? Only by his might. So the question is, are we going to live our life in anticipation of his second advent? It's good to celebrate the first one. Always celebrate the first one. Remember that one because it reminds us that God is mighty. But... Do we live our life in anticipation of the second one, the time when Jesus is going to come again and he's going to give people what they're due and he's going to eradicate evil and he's going to right every wrong? Or do we continue to ignore the mighty work of Christ which he provided for us, which is your salvation, your transformation, and your restoration? How do we live in light of all of this? The answer is, if you're a believer, you have been given the Holy Spirit, which is God's very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Like, this is his spirit in you. And so, in your life as a believer, the temptation is, is now, am I going to rely on myself in this situation? Am I going to think like I would think? Am I going to respond like I want to respond? Or am I going to yield to the mighty spirit that's in me that wants to do what Jesus would do? Right? What would Jesus do? Wants to do what Jesus would do. And that's the question we all have to answer every single day as a believer. Am I going to yield to the work of Christ? And so, y'all thought you're going to get skated out of this one <laughs> with homework? There's going to be no midweek this week because no one's going to be in the office. But I, I do think it would be really cool if we didn't just leave this here. We didn't just like 
talked about mighty God and, and talked about Jesus and talked about a child unto us. And they just skated into the next year like, okay, I'm ready. But we actually paused and we said, okay, how has Jesus been mighty this past year in my life? God, open my eyes to see what I've missed. Because it's easy for us to focus on all the bad stuff and, and think like, God, like, where were you? Like, you didn't show up in might. You didn't do that. But you got home safely, and you were driving with loads of cars and crazy drivers, probably me, right? That's a provision and might of God. You ate. You have shelter. Provision, might of God. So this week, let's read Jeremiah 32, and these will be out in the back as well. Mark 2, Luke 24, and Acts chapter 2. These, these verses, some of them we read in the sermon, but other ones we didn't. But the whole point of them is to see the might of Jesus. And then let's spend some time in prayer and reflect over this past year. Ask yourself, what miraculous ways did the Lord meet your needs? I would go further and say, Lord, what, again, did I miss? Show me, open my eyes in the ways that you provided for me that I did not see. What miraculous ways were you meeting my needs that I did not see? And then pray, Lord, help me to see your mighty works that you do for me every day. And then I would encourage you to reach out to someone and have a discussion about it. Maybe even pray with a fellow believer into the new year. Like, brother, I wanna, I wanna pray for you and I wanna pray for this next year for you. Sister, let's pray right now. Let's go in, all right? So let's pray and then we will continue to worship Jesus. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Thank you, Jesus, for your might and how you have expressed it not only in your earthly ministry, but in how you're going to come again. God, it's so easy for us to go through life and forget that you are coming again, Lord. And we don't know the day or the hour. We don't know when it is. It could be tomorrow. It could be four years from now. It could be when we leave here, Jesus. But help us to live our life in anticipation of your second coming. Help us to live your life, live our life thankful of that. That these things that are going on in our lives, they will be made right. All suffering will be made right when you come again. And help us to have hope in that, Jesus. Help us to live in obedience to that. And so I pray that as we leave here, as we move into this next year, Jesus, that you would give us all that we need, not necessarily everything we want, but all that we need in you. Help us to walk in step with your Holy Spirit. And if we're struggling in our faith, God, I pray, Jesus, that you would encourage us by your Spirit. And so we ask all of this in your mighty name. Amen.